0: This morning is found in Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. We'll begin reading at chapter 3. That includes Jesus' baptism. And then our text is found in the first 11 verses of chapter 4. I won't reread those. Matthew chapter 3 beginning at verse 1 In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance Unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now begin the words of our text. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, And showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. That far we read in God's holy, inspired word. May God bless that word to our hearts. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And in the text, the devil set himself, if he could, to devour Jesus, to get Jesus to, to disobey his father, to leave off the path of obedience, just as he was taking up his ministry. Jesus had just been baptized by John, And on that occasion, Jesus was also baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. That was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And it was at that very point that the devil would come and tempt Jesus. Also at that point, the Spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Thanks be to God, Jesus was victorious over the devil. He did not sin in even the least way. But that obedience that Jesus showed as he was being tempted, he carried on throughout his whole life all the way to the cross and therefore earned for us salvation. He earned for us by his obedience the grace of forgiveness when we ourselves stumble. And he earned for us on the cross grace when we are tempted. So we want to consider the text under that theme Jesus facing temptation by the word or with the word. And let's note in the first place the temptations that Jesus faced, secondly, the response that Jesus gave to those temptations and then the comfort that is for us. When the devil came to Jesus, his goal was to get Jesus to leave off the way of obedience, to stray into the path of disobedience, Of course, that was not the Holy Spirit's purpose. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The Holy Spirit had the purpose of using those to prepare Jesus for his public ministry. Using those very things for Jesus' good. The Holy Spirit had a good purpose. But the devil had an evil purpose, to take Jesus, even if he could take him off of that path of obedience, the smallest amount of deviation is all he wanted, because that would have rendered Jesus' ministry useless. The devil had the goal of leading Jesus into disobedience because he knew that if Jesus walked even one step off of that path of obedience, then he could not enter that spiritual kingdom. Then he could not be the king of his people And the devil had all sorts of ways to lead Jesus astray. From the subtlest of lies all the way to the boldest of promises and everything else in between, the devil would seek to lead Jesus off Of that path of obedience. And so it is with us, beloved. The devil goes about as a roaring lion. He wants to devour us if he could, he wants to lead us off of the path of obedience. And so he makes every effort to make sin look appealing. to make us think there is something good for us in the way of sin. And so he uses snares and traps, all sorts of ways in which he would get us to go astray all kinds of weapons in his arsenal. And we see that when the devil comes to tempt Jesus. He has all sorts of approaches. So he comes to Jesus in the first place and uses what is a legitimate concern. Jesus had been in the wilderness Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and was hungry. There's nothing wrong, of course, with being hungry, and Jesus' hunger was a legitimate concern. And the devil comes and uses that legitimate concern to tempt Jesus. He says, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. If you are the Son of God, you don't have to put up with this hunger. You can simply turn those stones, and maybe the devil even pointed at stones that looked like loaves of bread using every means available to get Jesus to think of bread that might fill his belly. All you have to do, Jesus, is say the word, and those stones will become bread. And you won't have to suffer hunger anymore. The devil pretends even to have compassion for Jesus, pretending to feel sympathy that Jesus would have to suffer that hunger. And there are, there's a way that you can relieve yourself from that hunger. But the devil didn't have any compassion for Jesus, had no care at all for the hunger that Jesus was experiencing, only he wanted to use that hunger as a means to lead Jesus off of the path of obedience. Leave off trusting in God to supply your needs. Leave off submitting yourself to God's will for you at this moment. Jesus certainly had the ability to command those stones to become bread. But if he left off trusting in God, even to the smallest degree, that would have been sin. That would have been falling short. And if he had left off submitting to God's will for him to even the smallest degree, the devil would have won that encounter. Just like the devil did with Jesus, he does with us. He uses many times what are legitimate concerns and turns those into temptations. It is a legitimate concern that we have work and that we supply for the needs of our families and the devil will take what is a legitimate concern and wants us to respond in a sinful way. Maybe by tempting us to seek after a job that pays better, even though that better-paying job might take us away from the church, or even though that better-paying job might require of us that we join a union. The devil takes a legitimate concern, feeding my family, and may even say, and giving to the needs of the kingdom, and seeks to lead us astray, even with a legitimate concern. A young person, a young adult, who desires to be married, has a legitimate concern with that. But the devil can take that legitimate concern and say, there's nobody here in the church for you, You can go out in the world and find someone to be married to because you ought to be married. The devil uses a legitimate concern. And so, with so many different things that we face, the devil used that legitimate concern with Jesus, his hunger in order to seek to lead him off of the path of obedience. To leave off trusting in God's providential care and to leave off submitting himself to the will of God. What does the devil do when that temptation fails? The devil doesn't simply walk away and say, well, I, I guess I couldn't. Succeed there. No, the devil comes back immediately with another temptation. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, the text says, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Do you see how the devil operates in the first first temptation? He seeks to lead Jesus into the ditch of distrust. Stop trusting God's providential care over you. And now he wants to lead Jesus into the opposite ditch, that ditch of foolish presumption. As if to say, you say you trust in God's providential care and that you are going to submit to him in all things, Well, now show that you truly trust God and cast yourself off of the pinnacle of this temple and he will care for you. You say he will take care of all your needs. Now you can prove it by casting yourself off of the pinnacle. And the devil does that with us too. If he cannot get us to fall into the one ditch, maybe the ditch of anxious activity, becoming, say, a workaholic to labor, to support our families... If he can't get us to fall into that, that ditch, anxious activity, he'll get us to fall or seek to get us to fall into the ditch of lazy inactivity. Well, I'm just trusting God to provide. And he will provide. And then not look to the means for him to provide. And notice the devil can even make his temptations sound very pious. The devil would make it appear as if casting himself off of the pinnacle would be to show his great trust in God. That sounds very pious. And the devil does that with us too. He can tempt us with very pious sounding words. And he even uses scripture. He quotes from scripture. He quoted from Psalm 91. Cast thyself down for it is written Jesus quoted from Scripture before, now the devil quotes from Scripture. It is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. But the devil lied, even in his quotation of Scripture. He didn't take that Scripture in its context, in the context of all of Scripture, but even In the local context, right there in that psalm, the devil didn't quote the whole of that text. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 is what the devil was quoting, but he left out a small phrase, to keep thee in all thy ways. And when you study that text, we don't have time to study that in depth, you find that God promises his care over his people, but in the way of those ways of obedience, to keep thee in all thy ways those ways in which the psalmist walked in obedience, not because of obedience, but in the way. And the devil left that out. He loves to quote scripture, and he can make his temptation sound very pious. And when that failed, That second temptation of Jesus, the devil had yet another approach. The first, to get Jesus to distrust God's providential care and to not submit to God's rule over him. The second temptation, to get Jesus to presume upon God's care over him. And now the third temptation, to get Jesus to renounce God's kingdom and God's rule altogether. To get Jesus to focus on an earthly and physical kingdom. So the devil says, he brings him up to a high mountain The devil says to Jesus, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. He boldly promises all the kingdoms of the world. And there is a sense in which the devil, who is the prince of the power of the air, has a certain authority here In the sphere of this world, but even the devil must submit to the rule of God. The devil doesn't mention anything about that, but he promises all the kingdoms of the world, and those kingdoms that the devil promised would not have been the heavenly spiritual kingdom that Christ had set himself to establish. The kingdoms that the devil promised would only have been earthly and physical. The devil's great lie would make it appear that Jesus didn't have to go the difficult way, but that all he had to do in order to obtain kingdoms for himself bow down to Satan Is that not the way also the devil tempts us making bold promises? You can have a life of happiness. You will obtain happiness for yourself in this way, which of course would be the way of disobedience. You can have for yourself a life of true pleasure if you follow after this pornography or other sexual immorality. He promises pleasure and he delivers pain. He doesn't give what he promises. He makes bold promises, but he doesn't deliver He promises great riches, earthly riches. And all the while as we, if we follow that temptation, as we seek after those earthly riches, he is drawing us away from the heavenly and spiritual riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. The devil promises the world. Pleasures and treasures, and he never delivers true treasures and true pleasures. He has a whole arsenal, all kinds of snares and traps and weapons to lead us astray. How does Jesus respond? When the devil tempts Jesus, three times the devil comes to Jesus, tempting him. Three times, Jesus responds, It is written. Jesus responds with the authoritative word of God. What a powerful way to respond to temptations. It's one thing to argue with ourselves when a temptation comes. If I follow after this temptation, I might get caught. And that may very well be true. If I follow after this other temptation and I am caught, What will it do to my reputation? How will it harm my family? And that may be true. But that's not how Jesus answered his temptation. It is one thing to answer temptations with those things that might happen I'm not saying it's wrong to respond that way, but how does Jesus respond? He uses the authoritative word of God. How much stronger is the argument that says, not this may harm me or this may have bad consequences, I might get a disease. How much stronger to say, God has said in his word, this is sin. And for me to do this, for me to act that way, is a sin against my God. My God, who loved me, how can I sin against him? Not that we need to quote Scripture every time we face a temptation. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to run the other way, immediately removing ourselves from temptation, to look immediately the other way. But Scripture does give that principle of using the word in temptation. To face temptation by using the word. For example, Psalm 37, verse 31. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Those two are logically connected. When the law of God is in his heart, none of his steps shall slide. Or Psalm 119, verse 11. Children, you know this one. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And just to give one more example, uh, rather Proverbs 2, verse 10. When wisdom entereth into thine heart... And knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things. How necessary then to be in the word. How necessary for you and for me to attend to the preaching of God's Word that we might hide that Word in our hearts. How necessary for us as families to be in the Word, meditating together on that Word and seeing its application to our lives. How necessary for us as individuals to hide that Word in our hearts. That doesn't just come automatically. God uses the means of the preaching. God uses the means of our reading and meditating upon his word. That's the first principle of facing temptation to use the authoritative word of God. Jesus, when he faced those temptations, used the word. But it's significant that he did not use just a general word from the word of God, but rather those portions of the word of God that answered to those temptations. He could have quoted from a passage like Psalm 34, verse 14, depart from evil and do good. And there is certainly profit in meditating upon those words. But Jesus doesn't take the general approach. He uses those scriptures that answer specifically to the temptations that he faced. When the devil tempts Jesus to distrust God's providential care and to not submit to God's rule over him. Jesus answers with a word that speaks precisely to that issue. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and we find that answer in verse 4 of our text. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, there are differences of opinion as to exactly what that refers to every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But the point is, Jesus uses a specific scripture that addresses that specific temptation. He must not leave off trusting God's providential rule over all all things. He must not leave off submitting to those words that God has declared, what God has commanded him to do. And however we interpret that text that Jesus quotes man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God the point remains Jesus applied it specifically to the temptation that he was facing bread is not what is absolutely necessary but submitting to to the Word of God, trusting the Word of God. That was Jesus' greatest need. And so, too, in the second temptation. When the devil tempts Jesus to be presumptive, to presume upon God's, care over him by casting himself off of the temple, off of that pinnacle, Jesus uses a specific word, knowing that to cast himself off of that pinnacle would be to presumptuously demand of God to send his angels and care for him. And Jesus will not do that. Rather, he says, Matthew 4, verse 7, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He uses a specific scripture. And also with the last temptation, when the devil says all you have to do to obtain these kingdoms is bow down to me. And so Jesus uses a specific scripture that shows the sin of worshiping any other than God alone. Matthew 4, verse 10, Jesus says, It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. There's a lesson for that in us, beloved. I think one of the reasons why this is recorded, not just that Jesus withstood all the temptations of the devil, but scripture shows us how he withstood those temptations. There's a lesson for us. When you and I face specific temptations, God would have us use the word Does someone struggle with the sin of pornography? That's all around us. We can use the word so that we don't excuse ourselves and say, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not sinning against anyone, even though that also would be false. But God gives us a word, Matthew 5. Verse 27 through 28, Ye have heard that it was said by then of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So the specific word shows us of the great sin Or if we struggle with laziness, multiple Proverbs, New Testament passages that speak to us. Ephesians 5 speaks of redeeming the time for the days are evil or Proverbs 13 verse 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Or someone who struggles with anxiety, anxious about the future. God gives us a word. Matthew 10, verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are All numbered, fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Find that word that speaks to that temptation, maybe that besetting sin. Not saying that just the word all by itself, the spirit must apply that word. But the Spirit uses the word. No matter what temptations you and I face, there's profit in applying specific scriptures to those temptations. Well, as we face daily temptations, beloved, there is great comfort There's great comfort in the fact that Jesus went through these temptations. There's comfort in the first place knowing that he was in all ways tempted, alike as we are. It's not just that Jesus sees that we are tempted and knows that we are tempted, although he does. But Jesus knows what it is like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it is like to be hungry and to be thirsty and to be tired. Jesus knows what it is like to lose loved ones and to see the grief that goes with losing loved ones. Jesus knows what it is like to be persecuted. Jesus knows what it is like to be lonely. He was in all points tempted like as we are. Even to be ridiculed and forsaken by family and friends. From a human perspective, we could ask the question, who would be the most helpful in time of temptation? Who would be the best person to go to? Would you go to someone who had never been tempted at all, who had not been tempted with that particular temptation? Would they be helpful? Or would it be more helpful to go to someone who had been tempted... and yet who had fallen into sin and now who had repented of sin, that would be the second choice. Someone not tempted, number two, someone who had been tempted and fallen, now had repented, or would it be better to go to someone who had been tempted with that very temptation and yet had not fallen? Even from a human perspective, we would say, I would want that person who knew how to deal with that temptation. But Jesus is not just an ordinary human being. Yes, he understands what it is like to be tempted. He was tempted. And yet never fell once into sin. Never thought an evil thought. Never spoke an evil word obeyed his God perfectly from the beginning of his life to the very end. He never fell. He was in all points tempted like as we are. And he knows what it's like to be tempted because he was fully man in addition to being fully God He took on human nature, body and soul, and then lived with that human nature in this sin cursed world. And therefore, he sympathizes. He sympathizes with the temptations that you and I face. He knows what it is like to be tempted. And he cares for you and for me as he sees us being tempted. He has such a tender care. He is able to be touched. He is certainly touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Not only... Does Jesus know what it is like to be tempted? Not only does he sympathize with us, beloved, he does that as he dwells in heaven above. Jesus, having been tempted by the devil, and yet continuing on obediently, That same Jesus who withstood all those temptations of the devil and all the other temptations that he faced his whole life, continued on obediently all the way to the cross, giving his own life for his sheep in obedience to the Father. Jesus by his obedience gave himself a perfect sacrifice and through his humiliation earned for himself his exaltation now he rules over all the jesus who faced these temptations in the wilderness by the devil himself rules over all things. Rules over the devil so that the devil cannot so much as move without his will. Jesus rules over all of our circumstances. And in heaven, not only does he rule by his power, he rules by his grace. He earned by that sacrifice that very grace and the mercy that he gives to you and to me in time of need. Now that same Jesus would have us to come unto him boldly in all of our temptations. Praying for his help. And as he looks down upon us, he is delighted to give grace in time of need. And when we cannot pray ourselves, this Jesus yet prays for us. Prays for us in heaven. Prays that on the basis of that perfect sacrifice that he offered, prays, that you and I would receive forgiveness when we fail. And he prays that you and I would receive grace so that we would walk those paths of obedience. Praise for us. Thanks be to God. That Jesus Christ faced these temptations of the devil and remained perfectly obedient to earn for us all the blessings of salvation, so that now the work that he has begun he will carry through to completion. The devil will not be able to devour any one of God's children. He will not be able to lead us so astray that we fall away from salvation. It's impossible because this Jesus, who faced those temptations and now is in heaven, holds us and will ever hold us. May that be our comfort as you and I face temptations in this world. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience and therefore his perfect sacrifice. And we give thee thanks for his continued love towards us as our high priest. May we rejoice in that salvation. And may we also, by thy spirit, be taught more and more to apply thy word and to use thy word as we face temptations. We ask this with the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.